Coming up on Garden Talk. If you let something veg longer, ultimately your cola will be larger, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will be denser. I think you can achieve the same density with all the same conditions on a small plant. It's that last little 5% on your gas pedal. It's like you're almost to the floor, you've got everything cruising down the freeway perfectly, and you just hit it and you just sink a little bit lower and you take off. Bigger the roots, the bigger the fruits. So get your root zone on point. That's only gonna be able to bring in more food and nutrients for the buds, and they will be denser because of a healthier root system. Individually, there isn't like a silver bullet out there of if I just add this nanometer, it's gonna be What's up everybody, if you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grout, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 97. In this episode, I interview Chad Westport. He has been gardening for 13 years, and he grows a variety of plants. He is the host of several different shows on both the FCP and FCP2 channels, and he's actually been on the podcast once before, episode 25, where he talks all about bricks. In this episode, we get into growing dense buds, something that a majority of people are looking to do, but it's easier said than done. If you get value from these podcast episodes, please click the like button and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That way you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to support the podcast even more, visit patreon.com slash There are various rewards set up for those that support and you can pledge any amount that you'd like. 100% of the money pledged through Patreon goes right back into the podcast. It helps this podcast keep going. So thank you so much for your support there. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free gardening information of all plants to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this episode. They now have supplemental lighting called the Ion Beam. I have the Ion Beam S11 grow light bars, which are 11 inches long and use Samsung LM301H diodes, but they also have the Ion Beam S16 which are 16 inches long and use the same diodes. It comes with a light controller with four light intensity levels and timer settings. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about their supplemental lighting and the discount code MrGrowit15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Chad Westport. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. You've actually been on the podcast before, episode 25, and you talked all about bricks. Lots of good information in that one. So if you missed it, you may want to listen to that episode after this one. In today's episode, we're going to talk about growing dense buds. I know not everybody listening to this episode cares about bud structure. Uh, I've actually had a large handful of people tell me they like loose airy buds, for example. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so I don't want to jump to the assumption that everybody wants to grow dense buds, but there's certainly a significant amount of people out there who do. So let's talk about it. But first, can you introduce yourself for those that didn't catch the first episode we did together? Yeah, and thanks for having me back on. Um, but hi, everybody. Uh, Chad Westport. Uh, I am a longtime grower with experience of indoor and outdoor garden beds. Uh, I've done this commercially, but my passion lies with home cultivation, uh, whether it be, you know, nutrient-rich food or just, you know, the best medicinal plants you can possibly get, uh, I'm into helping people get that process started because I feel it's very important. 
It really is super important. So let's start with genetics. Genetics, genetics, genetics. That can certainly impact dense buds. So talk to us about genetics. Yeah, you know, genetics, and actually I'm going to play off something that you just said here too, which is part of genetics, but it's breeders' directions and breeders' intentions. Um, I come from a day where... You know, larger was better, bigger was better. That's that's what you wanted. You wanted dense and you wanted large flowers. That's what caught people's eyes. Well, today things are kind of changing and there's different uses for medicinal plants. Um, some of these get turned into concentrated forms. And to be honest, dense flower structures aren't the best uh, producers when it comes to getting that type of material. It's the open, loose stuff that has access to all of the trichome heads on the flowers that they're able to get instead of it being stuck in the middle. So yeah, genetics plays a big role in it and breeders' intentions are starting to breed towards maybe a more open or airy structure. Um, you know, Traditionally, you can think of, you know, it's hard for me to say this with a straight face because there's a lot of polyhybrids today. There's not really true indicas or true sativas anymore uh, in, in, you know, the traditional sense. But if we use that as a starting point for the conversation, you're going to find that indica plants tend to be a little bit more dense. They're a little bit shorter, whereas sativa plants tend to grow a little bit taller and they tend to have a little bit more of an open structure. And that is just kind of their, you know, the region of origin. Uh, a lot of these sativas are equatorial, where it's a lot hotter down there. The open structure helps them. It's an advantage to the plant. Uh, it's kind of a... Um, an offensive mechanism, defensive mechanism. I'm not sure what you would call it there, but it does. It, you know, it keeps it from overheating, uh, amongst other things. Whereas some of the shorter indicas, uh, they're from colder regions with higher elevations. They need to finish faster. So, genetic-wise, indica and sativa do kind of play a difference um, in all of that. And you know, to 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 get back to the the first part is you know just the morphology of them. Some plants. They have conical shaped flowers. Others just have golf ball shaped flowers. That's just kind of the way it is. Uh, and you're not really going to change it regardless of what you do there. That's interesting that you mentioned indicas kind of being more dense. I actually have a cross called Chilote OG. And what I did was I had a Brisker OG by Square One Genetics cross out with Pakistan Valley. And Pakistan Valley is 100% indica, land race strain. And maybe that's where the bud density, because every single plant I grew out, of this cultivar has just been dense buds. So it's got to be coming from that indica side of things, I think. Although the brisker, that also has some density as well. But uh, but yeah, pretty interesting there. A lot of the Pakistanis, the Hindu Kush, the Afghans, a lot of those uh, that, yeah, higher elevation, cold weather, those are, you know, dense, dense flowers. Now, are there any specific breeders that come to mind that have cultivars that dense up nicely? Yeah, and, and you know, I kind of lean back to maybe some of the older breeders or, or people who are working with older uh, cultivars. Um, Duke Diamond from Old Dominion uh, is one that comes to mind. He worked with a lot of the skunk flowers, uh, which is kind of an older morphology. It's an older structure, so we see that in a lot of his work. Um, you know, today there's a lot of things that are purple. Uh, there wasn't so much purple back in the 90s or, you know, even before that. So you often see a lot of green in those flowers. Um, 
Similarly, uh, Top Dog Seeds, JJ, he works with Sours. Uh, he's a New York guy. Uh, and that, that's another one that just tends to be pretty chunky on the vine. Um, AK, AK Bean Brains, um, Skunk VA, these are a couple of the older breeders working with more traditional lines that, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much always chunky. Good to know. Yeah, I know people listening in, they're shopping for a good genetic set that they know dents up. So I figured it'd be good to, to name some of those. One that comes to mind for me is Square One Genetics. Everything I've grown out from Square One Genetics has been dense. And the density actually runs from the top all the way down to the bottom. So like I've had plants that I grew that I didn't do lollipopping to try to get off any of that larf. Yet those buds on the bottom were dense, were real wow. dense rock hard. And it's the genetics that, that yes. are doing that. So I love having genetics that are dense all the way down. And um, yeah, that square one genetics is definitely one of them. So let's get into different things in regards to growing the plants that are going to help with bud density. Let's start with lighting. When it comes to bud density, are there types of light that help with bud density? Um, well, the sun. Sun is obviously number one. <laughs> let's, so let's say we've got the right genetics. Uh, you know, really, you know, the sun... That's what we're trying to duplicate. But whether it's uh, like a HPS, a ceramic metal halide, uh, LED, the, the one real factor that's going to make a large difference is the intensity. So, you know, you, you can do it with all of those, but it's the intensity of them that I think are going to make the difference of whether it's dense or not, if the potential exists. Uh, and that, you know, again, is intensity is just the strength, the amount of usable light that the plant can get, uh, but also heat too. And that's where, you know, HPS uh, or the high intensity discharges uh, were a little bit different than the current model of LEDs. The HPSs would get a lot hotter, so you have to run it a little bit further, which would get you less of that intensity Whereas the LEDs are a little bit cooler, you can run it a little bit closer, you get that intensity. So intensity is important. LEDs, easy to achieve the right conditions all around for that, unless you got the sun. I think a good example is CFLs, right? Mm. You try growing plants under CFLs flowering there, you're not going to get nearly as good as density as you would with a full spectrum LED. And it comes down to, like people say, it comes down to the intensity, right? The amount of par coming down on the plants so um yeah i'm glad you mentioned that one yeah my my first two uh my two first two official technically literally closet grows were with cfl bulbs so it is possible but uh you'll notice a difference when you step up your lighting <laughs> now what about like the spectrum of light you know some people say that blue light could contribute to more airier buds versus red in the spectrum, which more red in the spectrum towards flowering. It's often said that that helps with bud development, bud density. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it's funny. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, the cherry picking of information. You know, you mentioned red and blue. And, you know, if you go back five years, we're talking LEDs, we're talking blurples, which is that combination of the red and blue lights. There are studies that absolutely say red light, and I mean, it's proven, absolutely show that red light can, you know, promote bud set, uh, promote flowering. 
There's also absolutely papers that say blue light is great because it keeps the stomata open, which means it can transpire more and it could get more CO2 in there. So just if you cherry pick that, you'd be like, well, all I need is a red and a blue light, right? No, it's a uh, monochromatic. They, they, they have run tests and they said, no, we can't just run red. We can't just run blue. But if we put the two together, that's where the whole kind of the blurple lighting came from. And we've advanced since then. White light, white light captures all of the spectrums. And even with a white light, you look at the box, you look at your light uh, or, you know, HPS bulbs, you'll see that chart on the back. It'll have the wave, it'll have the color spectrums. You'll see that, you know, red and blue are both kind of almost equally represented and everything else is a dip. So those those can uh, be a benefit to the to the plants and to the growth and denser buds but individually there isn't like a silver bullet out there of if i just add this nanometer it's gonna be i've heard that far red into ir like above what i want to say above 730 nanometers i believe right when we start talking about the emerson effect having a combination of that spectrum along with the other spectrum if it's over 5%, plants are more prone to foxtailing in flowering okay. is one thing that I had learned. And I've seen it happen. I remember back when uh, the Electric Sky ES300, the V1, I think they had 7% or maybe even 10% far red IR in there. And unfortunately, when you get towards the end of flowering and you get these foxtailing, things become more airier and looser. So I'm not sure if you've had any experience with that or if you've heard that before. I've not, I've not had experience with it directly, but it would kind of make sense. And I'm thinking back again to the equatorial sativas. Um, you know, I just believe that there is more of that IR in that region of the world. Just again, uh, how the sun and the angle of all that works. Um, but yeah, to your point, you need very little of it. You don't need to have a full board dedicated to, you know, everything 730 and above. A little bit goes a long way. Absolutely. Let's get into environment that can certainly have an impact on bud density. VPD. Talk to us about like what is VPD and how does that impact bud density? Okay. So VPD is kind of, a, it's a measure of the amount of moisture in the air versus the potential that the air can absorb. Uh, it's really kind of a calculation of humidity and temperature. Um, having a target VPD is something that is going to help the plant grow and the buds dense up because it encourages transpiration. Uh, transpiration is just plant sweat. You know, we sweat through our pores, plants sweat through their stomata. When you have the right VPD, um, they're able to sweat because the moisture, the, the kilopascals is the technical measurement of it, but the air pre or the water pressure in the air is lessened in the plant. So it escapes. When it escapes, it draws up water and nutrients from the roots. So by kind of manipulating your VPD and keeping the plant in a, a you know, a desired range, not a sauna, but you know, when you sit in a sauna, you sweat. So you, you kind of keep the plant in a, in a good range where it's actively keeping the stomata open and drawing nutrients from the root zone. And that will help build uh, denser buds. Yeah, I've actually had experience. I live in a very dry climate. Uh, natural humidity, I'm looking at it right now, 26% right here. Oh, okay. And uh, it reaches down to the, the teens and upwards wow. of 35%. And so I'm always adding in humidity, right, uh, into my grow. 
But I've certainly grown plants under this humidity, you know, very low humidity, under 35%. And unfortunately, the lower the humidity increases the transpiration and, like you mentioned, increases the uptake. Mm-hmm. And actually, well, first of all, it can lead to toxicity issues if you have a, a overabundance of nutrients in the medium. But it unfortunately has resulted in airier buds for me. Hmm. Now, I think it's just a matter of just increased transpiration and buds just kind of forming and f- flying all over the place at, a, at a, so much of a rapid rate that's not able to, to keep its density. That's just me kind of speculating. But uh, the low humidity definitely impacts bud production in a negative way, in my opinion. Well, I shouldn't say a negative way because, again, I go back to the folks that are okay with the airier buds, the looser, looser buds. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so let me just say that uh, the low humidity environments can certainly contribute to non-dense buds. <laughs> I, I'm in a place where if it goes below 50, it's it's freezing cold winter. Uh, 60, I'm kind of in a, a, a lucky zone where 60, it just kind of hangs out at 60. So that really helps me with my drawing. <laughs> another topic though, another topic. <laughs> uh, CO2 is another thing that is involved with environment, right? Can supplementing CO2 impact the bond density at all? It definitely can. Uh, there's a couple things that you would want to have in place for CO2 use. Um, I guess I'll just touch on that first. Um, you know, you, you want kind of a sealed environment. Um, a lot of us exhaust the areas where our gardens are. Um, if you're just quickly turning that out every 30 seconds to a minute, it might not be as beneficial as if you slowed that down or it was a sealed environment where it kind of recycled that. Um, there is a benefit either way, whether it's sealed or not. And uh, you also need to have a powerful enough light. Powerful enough light, again, we're going back to intensity and we're gonna go back to temperature because yes, CO2 can help build denser buds. Uh, it increases the, uh, or it opens the stomata, which you know allows for more CO2 uptake, which again, transpiration, more nutrients, but it also accelerates photosynthesis. And that's really the driving factor behind all of this. That's why we want the intense light. It's because we want to create photosynthesis. It's going to help cells multiply a little bit faster than if you didn't have CO2. And all of this is just kind of a, it's that last little 5% on your gas pedal. It's like you're almost to the floor. You've got everything cruising down the freeway perfectly and you just hit it and you just sink a little bit lower and you take off. What are some ways that home growers can supplement CO2 without breaking the bank? Right. Um, You know, I am talking a lot, (laughs) whether it be on a webcast, on a phone. Uh, So sometimes if you're in a small enough room, just ambient levels. Uh, If if you talk a lot or if you like to sing to your plants, you can increase CO2 in a meaningful way there. Uh, There are also... um, bottles that you could get small canisters almost like the size of a two liter or um you know smaller that you can use be careful with co2 it is a toxic deadly gas if it accumulates uh in in a large enough amount it likes to sit low to a floor so if you're using it definitely have uh, monitors Uh, but one of the most popular things or common things i see amongst um you know hobby growers is mushroom bags something like that in their tent uh, they just kind of hang it up high, kind of let it fall down over the canopy, and that's that's typically the uh, most common one I see. Okay, and then what about the tanks? You know, you hear people going to the hydro store and lugging yeah. tanks in and out of their house and then putting in that grow space. 
Would you recommend uh, against doing that? Is mushroom bags better or what? Right. Um, you know, in a sealed environment with the tanks, you're able to control it. You're able to set kind of a target, whereas with the bags, you're just like taking what you get. Uh, it's going to, you know, probably start off high and then decrease over time a lot faster than a tank where you could set it at a particular level. Um, you know, really the size of the garden, I think, would, would dictate something like that. Um, a lot of hobbyists typically don't need that. Some people who, um, you know, have, have a different garden or, you know, maybe medicinal gardens, something with a little bit more power, it, it, it could benefit them. It's worth it if you meet all the other conditions. But again, if you don't have, you know, light intensity, you're not going to benefit yourself because uh, you need to run the plants hotter, the room a little bit hotter when you're running CO2. So to summarize all those things swirling in my head right now. <laughs> Good points. I've used the mushroom bags as well as the canisters in the past. Both of those have worked to increase the CO2 level in my environment. But uh, surprisingly, so I do have a CO2 monitor in my grow at all times. And uh, surprisingly, every time I go in there, it's like over 800. And I'm thinking about why would that be? Why would that be? And a lot of things that people don't think about is I live in the house that I grow in. So like I'm exhaling CO2. My girlfriend is exhaling CO2. My three cats are exhaling <laughs> CO2. And when you've got that intake coming, right? So you're exhausting the air out of the grow space, bringing in fresh air. I'm doing it passively and there's fresh CO2 coming in at all times yeah. and it keeps it up 800 plus just about every time I go in there it's 800 plus. So perfect. I feel like I don't need to supplement CO2 anymore. I mean, I've tried it. It's, it's helped and so on and so forth, but I'm at the point where I'm such a small home grower, only growing six to 12 plants at a time. I feel like I don't need to spend that extra money on supplementation that my air that I'm exhaling is, is providing enough. Yeah. And, and, you know, I said I, I grew commercially and commercially, if you have, you know, a large nursery and you're able to increase yield by, say, two grams per plant for me and you, for the hobbyists, not really a big deal, might not be worth the cost or the expense. But when you do that on scale times 20, 30, 40, 50,000 that adds up real quickly. So again, it's kind of one of those last little things that you, you can toy around with, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Plant nutrition. Let's get into that. Mm -hmm. That can certainly have an impact on bud density. Talk to us about proper plant nutrition to ensure bud density. Okay. Well, the probably uh, a good example or an easy example of, is this a real thing? Go into any grocery store, look at any line of nutrients that you see, um, whether it be organic, non-organic, whatever it is. Look at the bottles. There's always a bloom and there's always a veg. And you, you know we've been trained to look at those three numbers, the N, the P, the K, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus. Um, so yes, so if you look at those bottles, you will see that these numbers do vary between the flower and the veg. One of the main things that you wanna kind of cut off when you transition is nitrogen. Nitrogen can kind of promote some like cell elongation. Uh, it can make things basically grow a little bit more where we want to focus more on the bud production, not 
so much of stretch or size. So yes, uh, nutrients can absolutely do it. Nitrogen being probably one of the, the main ones, one of the obvious ones. There's also sometime an increased demand for potassium in flour that kind of helps things bulk up a little bit. Um, at the same time, uh, I've been guilty of this. I've seen different products in the garden store where, you know, it's like zero nitrogen, like 50p, 50k. And I'm like, well, that's going to knock it out of the park, right? Balance. Balance is so important when it comes to any nutrient program. So you don't want to throw anything out of whack just because it wants more uh, potassium. Don't just feed it a whole bunch of potassium and nothing else. But nutrients-wise, those are the two um, micro or macro nutrients that really can have an effect on your bud density. It really can, and I have a horror story when it comes to too much nitrogen. I uh, way back then, uh, when I first started, I uh, was using bottled nutrients. You know, the Fox Farm Trio. That's what mm -hmm. I started out with. Me too. And uh, good, good lineup. I had some yeah. really good results off of it. However, um, I got overconfident early on and you know I was first I was checking the PPM and, and pH and all that stuff and, and things were good and then my next grow I was overconfident I was like ah, I don't need to check pH and PPM I'm just gonna read the plant well <laughs> I overfed early in veg and well actually into veg into flour and I was still continuing to feed especially CalMag is another thing because some mm -hmm. CalMags do have uh, nitrogen in it as well. So you need to really be careful with CalMag. A lot of people cut off CalMag for the first three weeks of flowering to make sure they're not feeding too much nitrogen in there. So that's one thing. But I uh, was ignorant to the fact that I had nitrogen toxicity. So I had nitrogen toxicity going into flower. And then it was like week four, five. And I was like, what's up with these buds? These are kind of weird looking. What's going on? This isn't natural. This isn't how my other buds looked. Maybe it's the cultivar. Well, no, it was too much nitrogen and flowering. Loose, airy buds, just disgusting. And uh, unfortunately, there was no way of rebounding. You know, I was in week right. five, week yeah. six of flower and it flushed the plant, but it was a lost cause. You know, I spent the last couple of weeks, the buds kind of deadened up a little bit, but it was still nowhere near as it should be and the final product was horrible i ended up uh it actually it affected the taste too it definitely affected Dude. the taste it was gross okay. and i <laughs> threw away most of the harvest unfortunately because nice. of that so i'm glad you mentioned nitrogen as far as impacting bud structure and the bud density because it absolutely can you need to make sure that going into flour you don't have an abundance of nitrogen in there and i'm also glad you mentioned potassium towards the end of flowering because a lot of people do use that in the final few weeks to bulk up those flowers and dense up those flowers. But another thing, you know, you mentioned don't overdo it, yep. right? So you have to figure out how much should you be adding in towards the end of flowering to make sure you're not overdoing it. You know, if you have an imbalance of nutrients in the medium, for example, too much potassium could lock out some of the other cations, right? Yep. Calcium, magnesium, so on and so forth. So balance, balance, balance. But certainly if you are a precision grower, you know, you precision feeding throughout the grow, you can tinker with the nutrition in order to try to achieve better bud density. And and you kind of hit on like a, uh, you know, one of the hidden things too, you mentioned you, you, the cow mag. And if you look on the back of uh, a lot of your different supplemental bottles, um, calcium and magnesium being one of them, you'll see like it's either calcium nitrate or calcium sulfite. And yes, that's where sometimes the nitrate is the nitrogen. Uh, 
that is where that can sneak into the program uh, accidentally is, you know, you're, you're kind of topping it on and to, you know, look at the um, bottles to see if it already has calcium and magnesium in it as well. So yeah, the, those were things that I learned the, I guess, hard way <laughs> I learned over time. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really good call outs for sure. Size of the plant. I want to get into that. Uh, I released a video talking about why I grow small plants. And there was some people in there that uh, there was the debate in the comment section about quality versus quantity. And there are people in there that say, I'd rather grow small plants with dent buds versus larger plants with looser buds. Does right. the side of the plant relate to how dense the buds will be at all? Um. Kind of a two-parter answer. The, the the natural size of it, if it was left, you know, in the wild, um, sativas again are typically taller than the indicas are shorter. Um, so in that sense, yes. But in the, in the probably the more applicable sense of like if I grow it a foot tall or if I grow it three feet tall, regardless of whether it's indica, sativa, or hybrid, um, I honestly don't think so. Um, I kind of like to grow small plants as well. Uh, it gives me more control over the amount of harvests and varieties I can have per year uh, versus taking more time and growing uh, a longer vegetative state. So you're going to have, if you let something veg longer, ultimately your cola will be larger, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will be denser. I think you can achieve the same density uh, with all the same conditions on a small plant. I completely agree. I've grown small plants with airy buds <laughs> and I've grown right. larger plant. Well, in my personal opinion, when I was a home grower, like mm -hmm. a five foot plant, which is kind of larger yes. for me and had dense buds. So I completely agree with you that I don't think the actual size of the plant is going to be the determining factor of whether or not the plant has dense buds or not. Right. And, you know, don't, you know, don't get it confused with yields. Yes, a larger plant will have a larger yield. Um, but again, sometimes quality is as the essence or, you know, in my case, I need variety and I like to have it frequently. So I do it faster. That's just shorter plants. That makes sense. How about plant training? Let's talk about low stress mm -hmm. training, topping, super cropping. Does any of that stuff impact bud density at all? It does in the sense that, so basically the common theme amongst all of those, the topping, uh, low stress trainings, super cropping, you're trying to get a level canopy. Um, and one thing that a level cam canopy promotes is the even distribution of auxins, basically the energy, the go juice in the plants. So if you, if you grew it like a Christmas tree, all of the auxins are going towards that apical Meristem. It's going towards the very top. All plants are this way because it sends the most energy to the top because it wants to pollinate or get pollinated. That's where it all happens. Um, but when we lay it down, it's an even redistribution because they're all the top. So it wants the plant wants to give each of them an equal chance to survive. So it does create denser buds in the sense that yes, hormonally they're all getting the same amount of, you know, energy juice as the catch-all. I love that. So scientific. Um, but also with the level canopy, you are able to get the light closer to all of them. Instead of having one flower here and one flower here, they're all here. It's an equal measurement. You're able to give them the same amount of intensity. So yes, plant training in those ways can help you get denser buds, 
secondarily. Okay. And then what about some of the plant pruning techniques, such as lollipopping? I mean, you often hear about that as, uh, you know, getting rid of that larf on on the bottom there and promoting the the bud density at the top. So lollipopping. And I want to throw defoliating in there as well. Do those things contribute to bud density? I I think that it does. So, and just kind of the logic of lollipopping to me is, you know, there's only 100% of energy a plant can expend. Now, if you have 50 places for that 100% of energy to go, it goes there. But if you remove some of those and give, you know, that 100% of energy 30 places to go, it's going to give the places it's going more energy. So yes, it it takes away, uh, if you lollipop, it spends less energy trying to grow those lower shoots, lower flowers, sends that energy to the top. Um, Defoliation is catch 22. There, I don't think anybody successfully proved anybody right or wrong here. There, there's definitely some thoughts to it. And here's, here's mine. Um, Defoliation can help in a sense of getting light to lower bud sites. But again, if it's a certain amount of distance away from the light source, that's why we lollipop. We want to bring everything up towards the light. Um, But there's a sink and a source relationship. So the leaves photosynthesize and people are like, well, photosynthesis is the power that drives it. This photosynthesis basically turns everything into sugars. The sinks are some of the older leaves. They sink or they they take more than they generate, whereas the new leaves are generating a lot of sugars. So in my opinion, at the point of where it becomes a sink versus a source, like sometimes you get older, thicker, yellower leaves towards the bottom, I'll remove those because I don't think it's generating more sugars than it's taking. And in that essence, it's going to send that away to the other areas, bud production, that needs more sugars. Uh, And I do know that it has been shown that when you do, you know, lollipopping or taking off side branches, which is a little bit more drastic than defoliation, but similar thought there, um, those sugars do get redirected to auxiliary tips. So... Yeah, I think they help. That's a long answer. I'm sorry, but they do help uh, in both instances, I believe. That's an interesting perspective on that one. And yeah, I just want to add to the lollipopping. I mean, and you kind of touched on this is the the lower branches aren't receiving as much light. I just mm-hmm. want to emphasize that because in the beginning of the episode, we talked about low light levels contributing to the looser, airier buds, right? It's just not receiving the light that it needs down towards the bottom of the plant in order to dense up. But again, genetics, genetics, genetics. Yes. I've had some cultivars that even with those low levels of light, they're still going to dense up at the bottom and be rock hard and, and really nice buds. So, and, and you did find a gem there because that is kind of the rarity. You know, I, in the saying, nobody likes to trim larf. That's why we lollipop. Um, I firmly put myself in that category. I have no patience for it. So again, I just feel that without it, more energy will go to the top. And I guess to to kind of frame my answer, my answer is always, I'm always thinking the top, the top, the top, not necessarily what was below. So I have a viewer question here. Stem splitting. Will stem splitting result in denser buds? Someone said it does. First of all, actually, let's take a step back. Can you tell us what stem splitting is and then answer whether or not it helps with bud density? 
Okay, so yeah, the the most common uh, stem splitting I've seen is people driving a nail or something through the bottom stalk as they get close to harvest uh, to kind of split it there. Now, are you talking about it in that sense or maybe like a mainlining sense where you're snapping them earlier on? They were talking about doing actual stem splitting where they're shoving a nail in and they say that the stress on the plant causes the buds to dense up. You're definitely creating a plant stressor. Um, I don't <laughs> think that is going to dense your buds up. We do know controlled stress can create different results. Usually it's in the form of cannabinoids. It's not biomass. So um, I'm just going to say no altogether to this one. But, but being technical, yes, yeah, things like water stress, it'll increase the cannabinoid uh, volume, but not the biomass volume. So it does nothing for your bud density. I had to ask. Had to. Yeah. <laughs> People do it. People. I mean, that's older than me. <laughs> so, right. Come on now. Yeah. So is there anything else that can help with bud density that we didn't cover in this episode? Um, you know, I did, I did have a couple of things that came up to, to top of my mind. Again, we're talking light intensity, spacing spacing in your tent um, because plants will have this thing called shade avoidance uh, if they're all flowering and they're all very close together you know each one wants to get above the other to get the most light the most intensity so if you're in a really cramped area your plants are going to be trying to grow up instead of put on the flowers so spacing is one thing that could do it um, patience patience with your harvest uh you know the, the old saying is when you think it's done wait another week um, inspect your trichomes you don't see huge amounts of uh difference between usually one week or the next at the very end but if you were if you had a flower that was truly 11 weeks and at nine weeks you're just waiting to pull it down if you let it go full term you're going to have denser buds um and then I guess the last thing too, and this is something you could focus on earlier in the, in the grow, um, your root zone. Bigger the roots, the bigger the fruits. So get your root zone on point. That's only going to be able to bring in more food and nutrients for the buds, uh, and they will be denser because of a healthier root system. So th those are the last few things that I kind of had there. How about the products that are on the market that people are, uh, some products being sold that people say this is going to help with bud density? What are your thoughts on those? I can't name of any right now. I can't think of any and, and name them, but there are some out there. And, and I've seen them, and yeah, I mean, we can probably picture the label. Um, no, I, I buy a lot of this as snake juice. Um, I've tried a lot of different things. Again, you know, 20% more yields, 40% more yield, as compared to what is the first question. Um, but I do like to A and B a lot of things. And I've also done this with, you know, lolly popping all the way down versus not majority of the time especially with these type of products i couldn't tell you one way or the other like control a looks like control b at the end of the day uh, there's there's very few things that have made significant differences but uh, no one of the most common ones though is probably again photosynthesis makes sugars plant likes the sugars makes it grow people have talked about adding molasses to the soil in the end um the plant really isn't going to benefit through the molasses. The microorganisms in the soil 
they like it. Now, it's the microorganisms that make nutrients plant available. So in a way, yes, that can help. But that's not something that if you're not using like a, a heavy biologically active soil, putting molasses in, I don't think is going to uh, make denser buds for you. I think one thing that comes to mind for me that uh, people used to add in all the time, but it's very harmful to humans, which is, I never pronounce this right, Plactrobutrazole? Oh, pa Paclobutanol. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have information about that or what? Paclobud. So um, this is a common farming product. If you actually go to Google and type in exploding watermelons, China, you'll see what happens. So they're PGRs. Uh, PGR, some are good, some are bad. Some are natural, some are synthetic. This follows under the really bad and synthetic category. Uh, It just multiplies the cells so fast. And they fed this field of watermelons, uh, some of this Paclo uh, PGRs, and it grew so, so fast they exploded. So yeah, that's very harmful, uh, very harmful to humans, especially when combusted. So that is, so that is one of the reasons why I'm glad we have um, markets for these, safe markets, because that's a, that's a product that was widely used in the past, and it absolutely will not fly in today's markets. So uh, yeah, don't use it, kids. <laughs> Adults. Especially on consumables, right? I know, some, I know they use it a lot in succulents to keep them okay. small. But uh, as far as using it on consumables, unfortunately, it's a carcinogen, right? That's very harmful there. So avoid that at all costs. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you? And what do you have upcoming in the future? Cool. Um, they can find me. I am uh, the chadwestport.com website. Uh, also YouTube, same name, Chad Westport. And uh, Instagram is chad.westport. Um, coming up some more shows on future cannabis projects um get to talk to some pretty fun and interesting people there hopefully we get to have you again as a guest it's always a fun conversation um gonna drop a a new series with tad hussey from kiss organics called dope history Uh, we've been working on this for like a year Uh, we've we've got some interviews for from uh some pretty influential people that helped kind of shape legal uh flowers um yeah, people who worked with Normal. We have a couple of posthumous interviews. Uh, that'll be fun. That's coming out. And uh, you can find me writing for Sensi Seeds over on their blog. So that's what I've got coming up, and that's what I've been doing. Awesome. So lots of good things upcoming in the future. We'll definitely have a link to your channel down in the YouTube description section below. And I do want to pass off this question to the audience. What did we miss when it comes to growing dense buds? Is there any techniques that you do that we didn't mention Definitely let me know down in the comments section below. I like to read through all of them. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff can be mentioned in the comments section. I uh, It's entertaining to read through some of that stuff. So eager to hear what you guys have to say about this. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode. And I'd love for you to tune into future episodes. Chad, thanks so much for coming on once again. This was awesome. This is very insightful. A hot topic. I know this is something that a lot of people are wondering how to get these dense buds. So uh, thank you for coming on and, and spitting some knowledge here. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I think we hit we hit all of the important ones. So it's been a great conversation for me and for everybody watching. So thank you. All right, everyone. Peace out. Catch you in the next episode.